Hello, church, and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. My name is Ben Shaw, the Director of Modern Worship and Media here at the church, and we want to wish you a happy new year. This week, uh, Reverend Drew Shelley, our senior pastor, brings us a sermon entitled, Not the Wise Men This Year. This is on Epiphany Sunday. He's preaching from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. We appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. We would also love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for modern worship or 10.30 a.m. for traditional worship. Both of those services are offered virtually via our website, Facebook, and YouTube, or in person. Head on over to fumcm.org for more information about our safety protocols if you choose to join us in person. We are so glad that you have chosen to be in ministry here with us at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And we pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. Good morning, sisters and brothers. I'm so glad to be with you today on this first Sunday of 2021. I'm Drew Shelley, one of the pastors here at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. If we haven't met yet, I'd sure like to meet you sometime soon. Let us know that you're with us so that we can connect in some way that works for all of us. Before we hear the scripture for today, I want to mention that we'll be having Holy Communion together after the sermon. So you might want to slip over to the kitchen and get your bread and juice ready while I'm talking right now. And then I also wanted to mention that we'll be resuming our pastor's online Bible study on this Wednesday, January the 6th at 6 p.m. We'll meet each Wednesday evening at the same time via Ring Central, which is kind of like Zoom. It's very easy to use. Be looking for tomorrow's daily devotion for more details and the link that you'll need to be able to join. We'll actually be talking more about this scripture that we read in just a moment and the sermon from today. You might want to make some notes so that you can be thinking about things between now and Wednesday. That'll be our pattern each week as we go forward. It's a little different than our usual pattern, but I think it'll make our time even more fruitful. Let's pray together before we hear from Luke's gospel. Oh God, we give you thanks for your presence with us wherever we are. We thank you that in your Holy Spirit we are bound together in ways we can't even understand. Open our hearts and minds to what you say to us today through these ancient words, this beautiful story that we love so much. Help us to hear what you say to us today. We know that you will, for we pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our gospel lesson is Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. Let's hear the word of God. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, being Mary and Joseph, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is, to what is stated in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is the offering for those families that couldn't afford a lamb or a more proper sacrifice. This was allowed to work too. 
Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Luke teaches us so much about Jesus and his family. Mary and Joseph are good, faithful people. They are relatively poor, scraping up just enough money for the poor person's offering to be given for the firstborn male. You can imagine them creeping into the temple ever so carefully, overwhelmed by the sights and the sounds, trying not to mess anything up. Mary surely can barely walk because she's just had this baby. Joseph is carrying him bundled up to keep him warm and safe. They are in line for this sacred moment with the temple priest when Simeon, an old man, grabs Jesus into his arms and speaks all these words over him. Anna, an old woman who basically lived in the temple, she is worshiping and praising God about this child. She's telling everybody about Jesus. Mary probably had to just sit down. Joseph is trying to keep an eye on the baby. I'm sure they're both wondering what in the world is going on. I remember our Annabelle's first Sunday at church almost four years ago now. Our doctor had forbidden us to take her anywhere until the spring. We finally brought her to worship in late March. Shannon slipped in the balcony at the Crossville Church doing a last-in, first-out kind of a thing. When I stood to preach, I saw someone take Annabelle from Shannon, and then that baby went back and forth across the rows of the balcony and worked her way all the way to the front pew on the ground floor. It was all I could do to keep focused on that sermon, I thought somebody would surely drop her or breathe sickness on her or take her away. Shannon was white with panic trying to get to our baby with that preacher's wife's smile like nothing was wrong. Nobody heard the sermon. Nobody. But everybody held that baby. Every person coming out of the sanctuary said, Preacher, I got to hold our baby. 
<laughs> what was a terrifying morning has become one of my favorite moments in ministry. Shouldn't that be how the church does with all our children? I think about Simeon and Anna holding the hope of God in the home of God. All of history has been driving to this moment when a poor, unknown family walks in to be faithful. And then these two ancient, faithful people name the thing which God is doing in this child. My goodness, what a moment Luke captures here in Luke chapter 2. The promises of God coming true. The old covenant opening into the new covenant. I wish we could have heard what Anna said. Simeon certainly said a lot. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is what God has been talking about for all these years. Healing, wholeness, salvation for the whole world will come through this baby. There is such tension and release in the story as Luke tells it. It's easy to miss the complexity around Simeon, Anna, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. They are standing in the temple, the pinnacle of religion. This is the home of God, the home of the God of Israel. This is the place where religious people have institutionalized and memorialized the covenant which God made with Abraham when God said, I will bless you, Abraham, and your descendants so that I can bless the whole world through you. Thousands of years of religious practice and history and rule-keeping and deep thinking culminate in a massive, beautiful temple paid for by the tithes and offerings of God's people. The whole thing stands as a symbol of the hope that God would indeed act in human history and bring about healing and wholeness for a broken people in a broken world. But here's the thing about symbols and institutions and temples. They have to be managed. They have to be controlled, sustained. They exist in a particular place and time within a particular culture. Even when they stand apart from a culture, they still stand within that culture and they interact with that culture. It gets very complicated, as I'm sure you can imagine. The Jewish-Roman relationship in Jerusalem in the first century was exceedingly messy, fraught with patronage, concessions, quid pro quo, power sharing, and political maneuvering that would make our modern-day situation seem like nursery school. It certainly wasn't unexpected. Faithful religious people always struggle to define boundaries of appropriate behavior, to decide what righteousness looks like in our place and time, what gets set in stone, what is written in sand, and who gets to decide all that, and what role do the power players in the larger culture have to play with all of that. There should be none, but it never seems to be none. The church carries a lot of influence. Power-hungry people always want to harness it, and the church is often happy with the harness if it comes with favors. It doesn't take long for religion to have the form of religion, but not the power thereof. Suddenly, we find ourselves institutionalizing and inscribing in stone all these things that seem like the gospel, 
but they are not. Simeon and Anna lived in the heart of this complex religious world full of smoke and mirrors. It's a Christmas miracle that they even noticed Jesus, much less felt the Spirit moving in such a powerful way. We in 2020 are certainly no better than the Jews of the first century. We're not immune to the temptations of power and influence. We get distracted trying to simplify the beautiful mystery of God's grace into a checklist. We worry over who is in and who is out. We have rules and regulations, symbols, institutions, temples. The image of God's movement can become more important to us than the reality of God's movement in the world. We must always, always guard against that. Simeon's words become so powerful and so terrifying against the backdrop of his day and time. He says, This child is destined for the rising and falling of many among the people of God, and he will be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. As beautiful and hopeful as the Christmas story is, as precious as the baby lying in the manger is, there is a hardness here that we must acknowledge. And it isn't the hardness of cold cultural religion. It is the hard fact that those who would try and put boundaries and limits on the grace and power of God, those who would live as though they have all the answers, those who would manipulate, abuse, and use the people of God will always find themselves crashing into Jesus so that our inner thoughts will be revealed. Our inner thoughts will be revealed. Once they are, we have to decide what to do with those thoughts. I wonder about the priest who was standing there with Mary and Joseph's two pigeons, ready to dedicate this firstborn child. I think a lot about him. I am him. I have baptized hundreds of babies. I've stood in the front of the sanctuary, pouring the water, anointing with oil, marveling at the baptismal gown that's been used for a hundred years, and trembling in the face of the holy sacrament, representing the pinnacle of our religion. I wonder what that priest thought about Anna's worship and Simeon's words. I wonder, did he question his entire existence within this symbolic religious realm? I wonder, was he open to God doing this new thing that sprang from a very old promise which was at the heart of Jewish identity? I wonder how he ever closed that service. What kind of a prayer do you even have after something like that happens in front of everybody? Our little book doesn't have any prayers for when God shows up and scatters the thoughts of the proud and shatters the walls we've built to keep the riffraff out, but which are actually keeping us away from God. Simeon and Anna, because of their closeness to God, had tender hearts and open eyes. It seems that they were brave enough to marvel at God's ability to act in unexpected ways that pushed against the institution of religion, which had hardened over the years. I think it wise to learn from them in this new year, to learn from Simeon and Anna. The fasting and prayer, staying close to God through worship and studying the scriptures, 
having our hearts set on God's continuing work of bringing salvation to all people, these things put us in the place of receiving what God is doing in Jesus, of being a part of it, not fighting against it. There is another thing to learn from Simeon and Anna, humility. The greatest threat to the dangerous cultural Christianity made so popular today is to live as Christ followers who don't have all the answers, to be wary of folks who feel like they have the truth of God all figured out. Humility is the proper response of humanity before God. There is no space for spiritual arrogance. That's not who we are. We fall on our faces before the mystery of grace just like everybody else. We do our best to understand, but in the end, all there is to say is, hallelujah, praise God, this thing is so much bigger than I ever could have imagined. Here's the thing. Living in the way of Simeon and Anna is very hard. Staying faithful to the real promises of God to be a blessing to the world, keeping our hearts tender toward the continuous movement of the Spirit, sacrificing time and energy to pay attention. Why, it's not for the faint of heart. That's why so many times I'd rather retreat to my own little world where everything is figured out and I have all the answers. I know it isn't true, but it feels good to pretend the invitation of the gospel is to leave that childish myth behind and to step into the deep waters of God's goodness we find in Jesus. It is an entirely different way to live, a life lived at the ragged edge of faithfulness where humility rules the day and a deep hunger for God's unfolding new creation drives everything that we do and say and think. You see, that is where salvation healing, and wholeness become real in Jesus. Everything else is just smoke and mirrors. And I think we're all kind of tired of that. I hope you'll let me join you in living at the ragged edge of faithfulness as we follow Jesus together in this new year. Maybe we'll get to say with Simeon, Oh God, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation and for glory to your people. Amen.